uh, we have another Two Guys in the Cloud podcast. I believe this is number 21, which means we all legally can drink. Um, just kidding. Um, we are we're joined today. Uh, Elliot will be joining us here in a few minutes as he pops in. But we're joined today and we're going to continue our conversation about healthcare and AI and healthcare. So we have Dave and Ken um, from Insight. Uh, DI or Digital Innovations Group. And guys, could uh, maybe you do a quick intro and uh, give us a little background on your careers and talk a little bit about yourself if you don't mind. Dave? Ken's way more interesting, so you go first, Ken. All right, let's go to Ken first. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. My name is Ken Sear. I'm the Chief Architect for Data and AI at Insight. Uh, work with our engineers, architects, and data scientists to drive out best practices for our customers and our partners. And for the last eight years, I've worked at Insight driving out healthcare analytics platforms and artificial intelligence solutions. Great. And uh, I'm David Lipensky. I'm a retread of a previous podcast, but I'm very happy to be back. Um, so I look after Insight's healthcare and life sciences uh, industry from a strategic perspective, helping to understand and plumb where the market is going from a healthcare and life sciences, technology, innovation, and needs perspective, and how we can meet those needs um, and really focus on arriving at highest value-based strategies to help healthcare and life sciences companies become continuously learning health systems through their data. Great. Thank you so much again and uh, for joining us today, gentlemen. Uh, the last um, episode we did on this topic was very popular and we felt like we left um, some topics and information on the table. So we invited him back to kind of continue the conversation. Elliot is joining us. And if you're on the YouTube, you get a very good uh, view of his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you kidding? Is it? How about yeah, that's now? better. That's better. But we can barely hear you. <laughs> uh, all right. So, you know, I thought I was all, you know, sharp because I was leveraging Teams Mobile to jump into this thing, and I was, you know, really showcasing collaborating through 365. But I didn't intend for that to be the talking forehead. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry if you're seeing the talking forehead. But That's listen right. to my words. Don't look at, don't look at the forehead. Listen to the words. I, um, right. yeah, no, but I, I'm, I'm super excited. So David, welcome back, Ken. It's uh, great, great having you on, on the talk here. Hopefully they um, warned you that it's a little bit wacky, two guys in the cloud. <laughs> We're ready. Okay, good, good. So I, um, you know, I, I know that Dave, we had like 30 seconds to chat uh, and I, I brought up the fact that Nuance, uh, this big acquisition that Microsoft announced, I, I wanna say it was like three or four weeks ago, um, seemed to be just sort of a perfect follow-up to our last conversation because it really was all about healthcare. It was all about AI. It was all about, you know, just the, there's actually a lot of components to it. The more research I did around Nuance, I was just fascinated, but um, it's their second biggest acquisition uh, behind LinkedIn. And that gives you a sense for the strategic value heard of, of what they're doing. Here. Uh, LinkedIn, I know, I know it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it may have something been new they're working on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's a it's a it's a pet project. That's right. Exactly. Okay. Um, but anyway, so what do, what are your what are your thoughts on the whole nuance deal? Yeah. Um, 
Nuance is actually a uh, customer of Insight uh, Digital Innovation. So we've been working with Nuance um, for the last several years um, to help support a number of their strategic initiatives. But um, uh, I think from a, I talked last time about uh, the historic challenges and complexity of healthcare information and clinical data and the fact that technology hadn't quite gotten to the point to meet those challenges or or eclipse those challenges until recently in the last you know three or four years and machine learning and ai um, is a huge part of that so nuance basically is um, the leading natural language processing uh, solution to be able to take clinical notes um, for, so for example if a doctor um, is uh, sees a patient and uh, and they have to basically provide their summary notes um, and whatever whatever they're ordering or prescribing, and that information is central to orders that are taken for uh, prescription drugs or medications while they're inpatient or uh, procedures or other tests. So um, it's very very important. But this has been a, a huge bane um, for for healthcare professionals for a long long time. It you spend more time charting. Um, uh, in terms of data entry than you do seeing patients. And um, it's something that today's um, uh, medical students and nursing students are, are looking up and going, wait a minute, this is 2021 and these are the systems we have to sit there and try to antiquate and, and annotate into. Um, this makes no sense. I wanna take care of patients. I don't wanna babysit old systems. So Nuance came along um, and has really refined and perfected um, their ability to uh, allow clinicians to speak um, uh, just like we are right now and to transcribe in real time and understand uh, very, very clearly what it is they're talking about from a coding perspective in terms of certain tests or procedures or prescriptions um, that the clinician is ordering for the patient. Um, being able to integrate that with their electronic medical record to have that um, those actions uh, fulfilled um, and to also leverage written notes and transcribe those into more dynamic searchable queryable um, data sets and data points because there's such a richness in clinical notes historically but they've been handwritten or or entered by our fingers instead of uh, through through our speaking voice so this is a, a game-changing technology with respect to its maturity in the marketplace. Um, it's integrated with all the leading electronic medical record systems, um, and it's been uh, per pervasively adopted and, and accepted. So that coupled with Microsoft's focus in healthcare around teams and collaboration around patient engagement, patient care, care coordination, um, in addition to their other tool sets from a cloud and AI perspective is, uh, is I, what I feel to be a very, very excellent acquisition. I was hoping several years ago and had actually had conversations with a, a couple of executives um, at, at Microsoft about Nuance, and uh, I'm really happy that they, they um, pulled the trigger on it. So you clearly should have got a finder's fee for that acquisition, correct? I keep going to the mailbox and I haven't received <laughs> one yet, but you'll be the second yeah. to know. Good. I was, was going to ask that too. <laughs> it's actually, if you go to the Nuance site, they have really neat sort of animations and visuals. And one of them is exactly that, that scenario David was talking about. You know, it's this doctor speaking to a patient 
and not meaning to look down and write notes, but to, you know, kind of make that eye contact, get engaged with the patient while the data is being captured. Um, so it was very helpful to sort of visualize. But I, you know what, just a little bit of trivia I figured out looking at all that. And Bob, you, I bet you appreciate this. The originating technology that's underneath Nuance is Dragon. Do you remember Dragon as the very first voice? Bit, yeah. Yeah, that's where this, that's how this all started, huh. which blew my yep. mind because I remember Dragon from like 2000, right? You know, and that was yep. like blow your mind technology because it was the first time, you know, you would watch the computer capture your voice and turn it into text on Word or whatever it was. And that was, you know, incredible, but not always accurate, but clearly it's become so accurate that it could be tied to healthcare files, which is amazing to me. Yeah, you know, I, think, I think the, oh, sorry. I think no, the, I was just going to say, piggybacking on that. Um, the the coolest thing about it is is the passive nature of it, right? So you, you, you have, if you're not in the hospital, if you're not an inpatient, you, you'll have more time with your doctor potentially um, during rounds and other times. But to, just uh, going in to see your specialist or your primary care physician, if they're using this, this is a passive listening system that, um, that you can enable. Um, there are different options and ways to set it up. But this allows the doctor really to focus on you for that seven to eight minutes of time if you're seeing a primary care physician um, to have them focus on you and, and to have that information and those words uh, that are spoken with respect to your abdomen or certain areas of the anatomy and, and under, the, the software is able to pick all that up and to, and to basically transcribe that in a very meaningful way that that dramatically reduces um, the clinician's time that they need to just kind of review it and make any additions. And if they do have some additions to make after their consultation, which they frequently do after you're done talking to a patient, you've got some more medical um, uh, uh, perspective and things that you want to get into, into the file, they're able to, to speak um, that in, in, in the notes and annotate those, those uh, visit summary notes, and it's done. So it's really, really cool stuff. You know, it also kind of, even though Gates is probably not involved in the day-to-day -day anymore at Microsoft, I spent 16 years there. And what's interesting is this is really two of his hot buttons, right? He's always been very interested. I remember even early on in healthcare in him trying to invest in areas of basically having one client file about your whole history that lives in the cloud. And no matter what doctor you go to, you could go and, and have that same information shared no matter where you were in the world. And then the second is voice recognition. He's always been a huge fan of that and being able to pick that up. So, um, you know, there's two really, two scenarios and two of uh, Bill Gates hot buttons kind of joining together here. So that's very interesting. Yeah, I think ultimately it's certainly it's plumbed very well for for medical already, but there's other industry applicability and then just at large. I mean, you know, I remember when I was growing up, my grandfather would would harp on me about my penmanship. They said if if, if people can't right. read your handwriting, they they can't understand what you're thinking, right? And then I had learned how to type, and that became invaluable as, as it is you know still used today. But we are moving into a modality where um, there will be less keyboards, there will be less typing, there will be more. Uh, free thinking and the ability to to not only uh, transcribe or, or create 
uh, information uh, through the spoken voice, but then to be able to annotate or or edit it and and send it out uh, more freely. So I think there's going to be a, a much wider strategy and applicability to the acquisition than than just medical. But it's certainly a great start for medicine and a step in the right direction. Yeah, I yeah. always wondered what uh, how the pharmacy was reading those. Um, written prescriptions from our doctor because uh, they look like just scribbles to me. I had no idea they were going to give me the right medication when I went in there. <laughs> so I hear you on the mostly exactly. the doctor's handwriting um, for sure. Go ahead, Ellie. No, I was just thinking that, you know, some of, so there's kind of two parts to it. There's the voice, let's call it voice to text or capturing voice part. And then there's the AI part, which you can see play out, I think, in lots of different ways. One of which is, and I was remembering the conversation we had last time and how important, you know, I, I call it, I'm, I'm using the word probably inappropriately, but data standards. You know, the data has to be captured in a certain standardized way to be able to benefit from the analysis, right? That was, and that was a big part of the efforts that have led to better outcomes. And uh, one would imagine that there is some aspect of AI that's, listening and capturing and then being able to manipulate what it hears into the right codes you know like that that's a ai thing i imagine um there's probably workflows that are tied to it that's ai and orientation you know like it's sort of there's these two parts to what i would call the nuanced solution one of which is voice the other parts ai because i because if it's capturing data in a way that's uh not consistent then i think it go you know it's probably counterproductive given what we talked about last time is what my and, and you know I'm speaking as not the subject matter expert, but just assuming that may have some rationality to it. Does that David? Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, I want to okay. get Ken jumping in here too. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to to from a natural language processing uh, perspective to uh, have uh, your your thoughts and your voice transcribed into text, but the, the workflow behind that, the AI, the, the magic behind that is, is really then what is done with it. Um, how, how is that information then instantly uh, projected into you know, clinical and uh, end user workflows and how, how are patient records and clinical files updated um, automatically based on that? So that's, uh, that's an area for Ken to, to expand on for sure. Sure. Uh the, the nuanced technology is a great way to enrich a patient's data set. All of those clinical notes are the ways that doctors think and communicate to, in order to cover all the nuances of care, uh, no pun intended. Uh, but being able to take that information back out, turn it into structured data, which can then be used to augment the patient's uh, data record uh, in order to make it easier for automated systems, in order to help doctors make recommendations or manage care profiles, to help uh, identify which patients might be needed um, to, in a cohort with care managers or extra assistance once they leave that hospital, uh, and even getting to the point of understanding which comorbidities may be there and not represented in the data in order to better affect long-term care management or even billing. Um, Every time we add more meaningful data to a patient's record, the easier it is for those doctors to make better future decisions and the easier it makes to start to understand the population at a whole and start to use that whole population to drive uh, better discovery and better care. So Ken, I got a question for you. Um, with all that, to me, it seems like storage would become an incredible expense. 
for the organizations that have this type of technology? How does, you know, storing that information, and I assume that's something that you have to keep forever. So um, I would imagine that would just uh, continue to escalate over the years. How does that work? Sure. So there, there are certainly regulations around storage, and there are certainly benefits to long storage of data. Uh, that being said, uh, storage is now in the cloud and even in on-prem environments separate from compute. Uh, when you go and look at the cost of, say, uh, a CPU chip, it's much, much more than the cost of a very large, very high quality and, and reliable disk. So the idea of storage, storage is for all intents and purposes, nearly free. Even if you were to store every piece of data from every patient, that wouldn't be nowhere near an appreciable expense within the organization, as long as you didn't have to scale the compute and, and the um, analytics access and the analytics computation with it. So by separating those two tiers, store data away, and then as the patient is coming in for a visit, that's when you can go through, bring it up into active memory, bring it up into the system and make it more accessible and more useful and do your computations. Uh, and it turns out to be a very, very cost-effective approach. Interesting. Um, so we should, we should never hesitate to store data that is going to be likely valuable and patient data is very likely to be valuable in that right. patient's lifetime. Right, interesting. Not to mention the fact that the alternative uh, is paper, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> if you're, you know, and that's, paper that space and space is real estate and you know that all becomes probably that much more expensive well and, and even when you have paper can you imagine you know trying to figure out whether you know what what has been the patient's diagnosis history by going down to a records room trying to rotate a box of records and then trying to look at everything in, in that box so the utility of that data is very high as long as it's properly indexed you know that's one of the great tools that nuance has to extract that information turn that information to structured information that can be queried effectively um, as long as it's indexed and you can say, what is my patient's you know, problem history? What is this? What is that? And, and bring it up on screen in a way that a doctor can digest. Then I'll argue that not only is paper data probably more expensive per square foot or, or per gigabyte or however you want to think about it, um, but it also has such lower value that you can't, you can't get that value back out the other side in terms of effective care decisions. So it's, it's expensive twice. Right. Interesting. It's life expensive. So you know, if we talk about there's there's voice, you know, capturing voice and creating data, then I think I think I picked up earlier with David your comment that it is it also OCR, you know, optical recognition. So you know, you're scanning documents, turning it into data, then applying nuance uh, AI to create the outcomes. You know, is is there that element to nuance as well beyond just the voice to text? Yeah, it's a great question. So. Um, we're kind of getting into the realm of, of computer vision now, right? So um, there are many different emerging use cases for computer vision. Um, and uh, this is one of my favorite topics to discuss um, and, and Ken's as well, certainly for healthcare. It's, it's a new paradigm that's, that's actually very mature, um, but is uh, ready to be scaled um, more cost-effectively, I think, than it was a few years ago um, as, as the technology matures and progresses. But you know, being able to not only um, uh, read, uh, uh, you know, written or transcribed paper um, and be able to digitize that information in a coded meaningful way um, that's more queryable, searchable and analyzable. Um, but also um, when you think about uh, DICOM images or, or, or scans, um, the ability for 
to train uh, computers to uh, computers can can see better than we can, um, uh, better better than we'll ever be able to, um, you know, down to uh, the the uh, you know the 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 pixel level. So being able to to leverage computer vision to detect anomalies in scans that may be undetectable to the human eye, or at least be able to call out anomalies for further investigation uh, by humans um, is extremely important so, uh, um, when you know, it comes. I, so let me, I, I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off because it, it just strikes me as an opportunity to maybe define computer vision. So when you say that, I mean, I'm, you know, it may help for somebody that's listening in to not, you know, to understand exactly what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah, all it can describe computer vision. Sure. And I so, didn't mean to cut you off, but you were going in such a good direction. I just wanted to give a, <laughs> you know, this, is, no this problem. is me talking too much. I'm going to hit, I'm just going to stop talking. Go ahead, Ken, do your thing. <laughs> so here we're talking about using artificial intelligence to recognize what is in an image. Now, that image could be a photograph. It could be a piece of medical imagery, like an MRI scan or an X-ray, uh, or it could be a written record that's been scanned in or faxed in, um, like a document. In each case, we would, as humans, would use our eyes in order to decode the information there, try to, to you know, read the text and understand what it was about and what we needed to do with it, or maybe look at that image and try to uh, see if there's a, a flaw or a, an item on there that indicates a, a certain prognosis. Computer vision can be trained the same way by taking a large number of sample documents or sample images, by annotating them correctly to understand what is good, what is bad, what is a bone break, what is not a bone break, and putting it through a training algorithm, you can train a AI model to recognize certain features with those images, like a hairline fracture of a bone, or to recognize that this is, say, a pharmacy script and diagnose which part is the patient name and which part is the uh, drug and what is the dosage and turn that into an automated action. So computer vision is very broad. It's very applicable in healthcare in a number of ways, uh, and it's an extremely powerful tool. Humans tend to get very tired. Uh, if you wanted to look at 10,000 images a day and try to tell me, you know, which ones had broken bones and which ones not, we, we as humans can't do that very well. We can't take in that level of detail. We can't look in every section of every photograph with equal uh, acuity, but a computer vision model doesn't get tired. It focuses the same way every time. It finds the same type of flaws every time. It's extremely consistent. Now you have to be careful when you train them. Garbage in, garbage out. So you have to make sure you have high quality inputs and you're monitoring it and you're making sure that it's making the right kinds of decisions and you have the right controls to make it responsible. You always want a human being in the loop on any clinical care decision. But by providing computer vision augmentation, either in automation like claims management or incoming scripts or faxes, or even in the clinical environment by providing decision support to doctors who are looking at a lot of these images every day. And when they say, yes, that is a broken bone and the computer can kind of say, are you sure? Um, by asking that kind of question, so you're not taking the clinical decisions out of human hands, you can enhance outcomes and you can provide that type of support and you can prevent fatigue on those, on those expert users and provide them just that little nudge that have, allows them to use their skill to improve care. Yeah, we like to call that informed clinical decision support, right? So we're not we're not telling a clinician uh, anything definitively. What we're doing is we're 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 suggesting a probability and helping them understand these are the factors that led us to think this about a, a patient's diagnosis or condition based on a, an image or or other information. So, um, and then they, as the clinical expert and investigator, will be able to more rapidly and quickly. 
uh, take those breadcrumbs and and make a clinical decision uh, on their own. Um, that that um, and that's really where um, I think the conversation is is really going in healthcare at large. What does the next ten years look like? What does the next twenty years look like? Because we are really you know I would say in our infancy from a an, a data and AI impact in healthcare um, in terms of of more scalable um, and affordable and more adoptable. You know we're we're probably five years old right now. So where are we going to be when we're 18 years old or 20 years old? Um, and, you know, it's it's coming along at a perfect time because um, some interesting dynamics are happening globally with respect to healthcare. First of all, um, we have an aging population around the world and you use 80% of your healthcare, um, usually in the last 20% of your life. In addition to that, we've got a growing number of what I call chronically well people or people with chronic diseases, um, everything from um, childhood uh, asthma due to uh, reduction in poor air quality um, in more industrialized places in the world, uh, more frequently that are ex that's exacerbating that, COPD, heart disease. So the ability for us to care for a more complex population of patients with Conversely, a declining number of clinicians. So um, we're losing clinicians. Um, we're not replenishing clinicians at the speed that we need to. And we have no idea what COVID is going to do to the attrition rate of clinicians. Um, we have not even begun to scratch the surface because we're still uh, uh, on our way out in some cases, but in the midst of it, um, like in India and other air cases right now of COVID. So when all this is said and done, you know, how many clinicians are going to still be in the game? Um, how many clinicians just might be burned out and move on? So we have to figure out how can we scale healthcare and make it more affordable, more available, um, and be able to do it uh, cost effectively um, and understand when people's healthcare changes um, and who to reach out to when for what um, and where uh, human clinicians uh, in terms of cohorts of patients should be spending their time for what reasons? So, um, getting into you know the nuances of the world and computer vision and AI and machine learning, and 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 bots um, is going to be a, a really critical component to help treat population health in a more uh, uh, sustainable way, and and also raise the bar of of care and, and narrow the divide between. Um, evidence-based medicine and research-based medicine, which is about 20 years difference. In addition to that, we've got developing world versus industrialized world, and there's a huge gap in care paradigms there. So technology can uh, be used responsibly to, to help reduce those gaps and provide more uniform care uh, for patients on a global basis. Um, and we are, like I said, probably in year three, four, five of uh, a lifetime journey, if you will, of, of leveraging this technology and evolving it to do that. That was actually going to be my question, Dave, um, regarding the scale. Nuance and what you guys are talking about sounds tremendous, but I'm wondering what the, uh, how many places around the world have that type of technology implemented right now? Um, you know, is Microsoft obviously paid a pretty penny for this acquisition? Is this something that they're making a future bet on? Or are we seeing that technology in place today, you know, at hundreds, thousands of hospitals um, across the world? 
Um, I think I might have said this last time, the most Windows XP I ever see is at the doctor's office or in the hospital, which concerns <laughs> sure. me, right? So, yep. um, you know, they, they don't seem to, as a as a industry to be um, bleeding edge, as we used to call it at Microsoft. So um, what can, do you see folks implementing this technology today? And, you know, how common is it? So yeah, that's a great yeah. question. Go ahead, Ken, oh, please. I, I was going to say, yes, absolutely. Healthcare is right on the cusp of AI adoption, and, and it has been for the last couple of years. For all the reasons that Dave has outlined in terms of needs and scale and improved outcomes, they've known that they need to make that change. Part of that change has been challenging because of the antiquated nature of their business. Like you said, Windows XP has been on the desktops. If we think about what the EHR systems are, they're all based on mumps, which is what, 30, 40 years old now. It can be hard to get access to the data and the clean data that's necessary, but every healthcare organization knows things to get there, large or small. There have been some real front runners. Some of the larger hospital groups have been experimenting. The clinical uh, research hospitals and, and education hospitals have all been working hard to implement this kind of as, as point solutions. But what's happening is that hospitals, instead of looking at their on-prem infrastructure as their answer to medical intelligence, are now turning to the cloud. Over the last few years, just about every major hospital has moved to the cloud. This has a couple of major benefits. One is it flattens the playing field in terms of data access, data availability, data, data cleanliness. Now, instead of having a mishmash of 20, 40, 60 different systems, there is one clear path for access and data analytics. And there's a complete ML pipeline or AI pipeline capability in all the major clouds. So when they are moving to the cloud, they're making a win in terms of their data management, but that win as a data management is the foundational step to the win with AI. And so products are now being integrated with AI. Major hospitals are now implementing AI algorithms. There are now growing marketplaces for AI, um, for AI in healthcare. And what we're gonna see is that democratization of access is going to be owned a lot by these research hospitals who are gonna then share it out uh, into, into the field. And it's gonna become more and more common until it is delivered all the way down uh, into field hospitals in distant places. Oh, that's really interesting. I wonder if, and maybe maybe I'll ask this question, are we seeing some of the best technology uh, talent moving to large hospitals? Uh, because this this is some like, you know, very interesting and leading edge stuff. Um, you know, when I, I think of some of the top talent um, that we have in technology in the US and around the world, I don't usually first think um, maybe they're in a healthcare organization. Are we seeing um, technologists move to there because of this type of technology? So there's certainly been an increase in technical investment within healthcare organizations. The IT spend has grown significantly over must, the years. Yeah. Right. Because they all understand that their data and their ability to analyze that data is essential to their long-term success. Um, is it top talent? Well, healthcare still doesn't pay top dollar. Uh, I, I say that Wall Street probably still outclasses them, but Wall Street's been doing artificial intelligence for 50 years. Uh, healthcare is just turning that corner. Uh, but that has changed dramatically again this year. So we were heading into 2020 looking at a AI healthcare strategy and, and a growth in that market. Uh, and when COVID hit, Every healthcare organization that had more than a hospital stopped and said, we need to aggregate our data. We need to get data scientists. We need to get it in there. And every single one of them turned up the heat. 
uh, on their data science programming. So for the past year, we've been working with I don't even know how many healthcare organizations <laughs> in order to build their ML ops capability, their data science capability, they staff into it, they grow into it, get their data in a place where they can responsibly, reliably build algorithms because COVID is a black swan event. It's not predictable based on history. This is the first time in a hundred years since uh, the Spanish flu that we had a pandemic in the US on the scale. There was no model for how to handle that and they had to build it all on the fly. Uh, so that was that was a very exciting thing. And we took what would have been a three, four, five year investment and turned it into a one year investment just so they could make it through the year. Very cool. So yeah, I think from my perspective too, oh, it's from a talent wise, uh, you know, uh, we've got a couple of data science. Well, we've got uh, uh, 20 data scientists uh, that, that work um, with Insight <laughs> AI. But, favorites, though. <laughs> yeah, I do have my favorites. And one of my favorites um, used to be a data scientist for a hedge fund. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, look, um, I, I have had uh, cancer touch uh, multiple people in my family. I've had, you know, major health health crises happen um, uh, with with people I love, um, I can either go make billionaires richer or I can uh, help, you know, cure cancer or or, you know, provide uh, more meaningful health care um, that's going to benefit, you know, mankind and my family along the way. So I think the excitement is now that that that, you know, the, the data science community and some of the leading technologists are beginning to understand um, the investments that are being made. Um, uh, in in healthcare, and they're significant. Just in this last year alone, um, there's been over um, I think 200 billion dollars invested in healthcare startups uh, uh, globally in the last uh, 18 months. And obviously, COVID was a, a, a major uh, precipitative event for that. But th th there is significant change in investment um, in healthcare, um, and you've got Apple, uh, Microsoft, Google. AWS all making deep vertical investments in the healthcare industry and life sciences industry. And that's being followed by academic medical centers. And the, the, the possibility now um, is a game changer with respect to where the technology can take the speed of learning and collaboration around disease. So um, I, think, I think the paradigm is definitely changing. Um, will healthcare ever be paying and be competitive to get top talent versus Wall Street? No. But um, the compelling event will be beyond, uh, you know, the paycheck uh, in many cases. Yeah, I, I would I was just about to say that I, you know, talent can be drawn by lots of different things, you know, and, and certainly Wall Street draws talent because of certain incentives. But I think that there's a genuine desire by a lot of top talent to want to help others. And I think that that will be a, a draw in and of itself. So I, I, it just, you know, people, people are interesting in terms of what motivates them, you know, to, to their passion, you know, and I, I think I can see that playing out. It won't be that, I just don't think that the best talent is always money driven. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Yep. We've all been touched sense. by, by disease in our lives uh, with people we love and we're all not getting any younger. So it's all in our best interest, especially if you've been on Wall Street for a while and you've made uh, some good money um, as a as a leading technologist to be, be able to say, hey, gosh, now I can actually downshift, have a greater quality of life, both personally and professionally, and um, make a significant impact that um, my family and generations thereafter can feel. So 
Um, yeah. I think I think that's going to be a compelling magnetic event uh, in healthcare for the next you know decade or so. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, this is a complete segue, but it's something I, I keep wondering. So earlier we, we kept talking about computer vision, computer vision. Mm -hmm. That's not an industry term, correct? That's a, that's Cor a term correct. from insight, I think. Oh, um, no, I'm sorry. It, it is, it's a technology term. Um, okay. So, yeah, so uh, uh, computer vision um, basically is 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 a capability that's applicable to many different industries. I'll give you an example. We've got a project that we're getting ready to spin up with a medical device company. They have three assembly lines that are churning out tens of thousands of units of their medical devices on a daily basis. Um, and they're expanding rapidly. They've got about 40 cameras on each of the assembly lines. Um, they've, they uh, are going to use computer vision, so using the cameras and, and you've got these, you've got, you know, tens of thousands of, of, you know, widgets moving by on a conveyor belt at high speed, um, passing these cameras, these 40 cameras, um, you know, every, every hour. And so how can you detect anomalies in the production to spot defects and prevent that from contaminating the line? So um, that's a, that's an example of, of leveraging camera technology. Um, it all starts with camera technology, the, the vision. Right to either scan documents, re read documents, or, or in this case, scan uh, devices that are being produced and manufactured at different stages of completion to be able to identify and alert uh, the manufacturing line when uh, they are uh, noticing defects. Yeah, I, it's okay. So this was one of those moments where I realized that I'm getting old and the industry is moving too fast, and I've just found another term that I was not up to speed on. So that there's that. Um, but I remember hearing computer vision early on in the pandemic in terms of a number. I think it was a solution that Insights DI practice constructed to help identify uh, what I would call risk with staff in, in the office based on you know, and, and I remember the term computer vision being used. And that, that's what made me think about mm -hmm. this is that, and it must have been the, the cameras in the office somehow analyzing what they're seeing in the office to calculate risk associated with maybe people are too close together or maybe there's an inflection in temperature. That, that was my yep. first, I think the first time it connected with me that this term computer vision as a solution Correct. towards trying to ebb the pandemic. Um, of course, Correct. I assumed yep, it, was yep. a, it was a brand, but it's not. Yep. Um, yep. So uh, we use uh, uh, we develop computer vision solutions with a number of partners um, that would leverage thermal cameras. So um, when when doctors and nurses and clinicians were coming in every day, you know, there's three shifts a day um, coming in, and there's you know hundreds of of people coming in every day that are obviously de dealing with uh, COVID patients, many of, of which were dealing with COVID patients and present a greater risk every day to come into work. So they'd have to line up, um, you know, day and night in whatever weather to, to basically get a forehead scan of their temperature before they were let in uh, each day for their shift. Well, you know, we developed a solution that leveraged some thermal cameras, thermal imaging camera cameras that were able to individually identify people um, uh, not by name, but but just by um, uh, individuals, and we're, we're able to scan up to, to to 30 people at a time. 
coming in and identify and, and to, with, with significant accuracy. So I could pick one out of 30 that had a higher temperature rate and that person would be identified and, and brought aside. And while the rest of the people are going in and, and checked to be hand checked with a, a thermal camera or you know, checked out further. So that was a, a, an example of, of how we, and, and same thing in the hospital, we were able to use cameras uh, mounted on cones um, inside hallways to make sure that people were um, properly socially distancing and spacing themselves, uh, for example. So a number of different uh, use cases there, again, leveraging computer vision or camera technology to be able to do those things. So at least I wasn't completely off. I feel better. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yes. I, you, know, you didn't dream I it. I keep struggling with it. It was computer vision ever an event <laughs> or an expo or something? <laughs> it just sounds, it sounds like that, but no. You no, know, I know. What you're thinking of is, is George Plimpton, Plimpton in television. Um, wasn't that a video game console way back when? Yes, it, it was. And I appreciate the fact that you just dated yourself with me. So thank you very much. You're welcome. I appreciate that. My pleasure. Yes. I was an Atari guy, but what, what do I know? And I, you know what? I was going to say that too. The Intellivision had that circular disc, right? Didn't it have something like yes. that? Yes. Okay, good. Wow. I've not lost everything. Okay. Bob, you were going to say something. Yeah, so I, I just watched a show on Disney Channel called WandaVision. Does that have any, yeah. you know, does that work? <laughs> good. There's, there's been a lot of vision developed since then. Yeah. That's right. <clears throat> That's right. So I know you guys are um, planning on a conference you mentioned earlier. Can you give us some background on what's going on with that? Well, uh, this, uh, so we are working uh, at a corporate level uh, on a regular basis to kind of understand uh, industry conferences that are, um, are, are going to be happening. Um, and the good news is, is I don't think obviously we'll be seeing as many conferences as we did before. And we probably had a little bit of an overload of conferences in terms of choices to make and places to go. But I think there's going to be a consolidation and a greater emphasis on value and, and, and really depth in, in conferences going forward for the foreseeable future. So we've been uh, working to kind of curate um, uh, concepts in and around virtualized and personalized medicine at scale um, for uh, a conference coming up that uh, in 2022 that the Wall Street Journal is going to be leading. So this year, I think uh, Fauci is, is definitely one of the, the keynote speakers and, um, you know, so heavy hitters, right? But um, the, the idea is, is we're working kind of constantly to kind of canvas um, uh, certain conferences and work with our corporate uh, uh, relations team to make suggestions in terms of where technology is going and what what the leading edge looks like and what the art of, po art of the possible is and where we're, and how we're implementing innovation in healthcare and other industry verticals and then we're applying that to um, uh, you know these these conference opportunities going forward. Very cool. It's nice. I, I think it's really incredible, um, you know, the the work you guys are doing in in healthcare. It's it's a bit of a um, a secret and insight. And I, I don't think it should be because the, the work you're doing is is really changing the industry and making a difference in people's lives. Um, it's it's incredible. And, you know, I think we are really just scratching the surface on some of this 
information. It, it feels like this could be a, a series of podcasts. Uh, you know, may, maybe Elliot, we should roll this off into a, a specialized healthcare series because there's so much here and so much information. And it seems to be changing very quickly with things like COVID and the certain uh, other situations that we have in healthcare right now. It's just amazing. And uh, I, I had, I this was a blind spot for me. So um, I've really enjoyed our conversations on this topic, gentlemen. So yeah, I really appreciate yeah, your time. Yes, David, Ken, thank you so much. We really do. Sure. Yeah, there's never been a better time in the history of healthcare, in my opinion, to be in healthcare. Um, and that's because of the impact that te technology is able to make at scale and at cost and <clears throat> and uh, address some of the, the key critical global health challenges that, you know, I alluded to and, and Ken and I discussed earlier. It's just um, we have to come up with solutions that are scalable, that are affordable, that are implementable, that are secure, um, and that, that make a difference in people's lives. And um, it's going to be a fantastic journey. Like I said, we're probably in the healthcare industry, you know, only a toddler at this point, but um, where are we going to be at 21, at, at, at 30, at 50, um, as we look ahead and, and how can we make uh, a sustainable impact um, that's going to improve the, the quality of life and really flatten the divide again between industrialized and developing world uh, healthcare delivery. Um, and I'm excited about the opportunities that are in front of us. And I know that all of that is possible. Um, and it's, we're not, we're, we're no longer waiting on technology to get there. Um, we're, we have the technology today and it's only going to get better. Now it's just about implementing it. And Ken, I don't think you have any final thoughts. Can't top that. <laughs> yeah, those were great, great words, David. That was awesome. Really great good. way for us to wrap up today's conversation. So, um, Thank you guys, really appreciate it. Our pleasure. And uh, for those listening in, we uh, we will look forward to our next episode, but thanks again for joining and, and we'll talk to y'all soon. Don't forget to download, rate and review. Thanks everyone.